First thing I'd like to do this morning is to uh, welcome and thank all of you for being here. Also want to welcome all of you who are watching from home this morning. I want you to know that you are loved and missed and I'm sure that uh, we all long for the day when we can all be together again. So let's continue to, to pray that this thing is soon over with so that we can get back to being all together in the fullest sense of the word. Second thing that I'd like to do this morning is to wish all of the dads a happy Father's Day who are in the congregation. Last year, on Father's Day weekend, of course, I, I, gotta, I gotta stop right there. To me, every, every weekend is Father's Day weekend because of our Heavenly Father, and we're here in his house to celebrate him. So having said that, the, the man-made holiday of Father's Day, last Father's Day weekend, I preached a sermon. It was the first of a three-part sermon mini-series entitled, The Only Thing That We Have to Fear Is God Himself. And although it's not my point, in saying that, perhaps in light of the events that have transpired at the beginning of this year, it might be good to go back and listen to that lesson, just saying. But my point in telling you what I preached last year, though, is this. That lesson had nothing to do with Father's Day. And after I got done, back there, there was a good sister in the congregation come up to me and said, I got a question. I'm thinking, what did I say wrong, right? And she said, how come is it, you preachers, you always preach a Mother's Day sermon telling how wonderful your mothers are and all that on Mother's Day and what they're supposed to be, but you never bring anything up on Father's Day whatsoever. You just don't preach at all to dads. Why is that? And I got to thinking about it. You know, she's absolutely right. Or at least in my case, I don't know about yours, but some that I've, that I've seen in, in my own experience, she was right. We preachers tend to preach a, a sermon about women and mothers, which obviously we're not. But the very fathers that we're supposed to be and that sort of thing, we seldom ever touch that topic on Father's Day. Why is that? She really made me think. Why is that? And I think maybe at least speaking personally. It's because we tend to love and respect and hold in such high esteem our wonderful and beautiful wives and mothers, while at the same time being all too well aware of our own shortcomings and our own failures as fathers, at least I am. Or as another gospel preacher put it some years ago in his Father's Day sermon entitled A Father's Responsibility, and, and I, have a, I have a text of his lesson, this is what he said. Have you ever noticed that on Mother's Day we tell mothers how great they are? And on Father's Day we tell fathers what they need to do in order to become great. <laughs> it's almost as if a mother automatically becomes great while a father must continually work at it. Those were his thoughts, and I, I kind of tend to agree with that. But you know, that's kind of the way it's gonna work today, because I tried to get away from this particular lesson, and, and I just couldn't, I, I just couldn't. So, I wanna share that yes, we're going to be talking about dads today, but what I want you to understand is if you're not a dad or a father, there's still plenty in this lesson for you. I want you to really think about that. While it's specifically for dads and fathers, there's something in the truths that I'm gonna talk about that we can all benefit from. Let me give you several different categories of people who can benefit from some of these truths. If you as a young person under the age of 18, if you are blessed enough to be being raised in a Christian household with a Christian mom and a Christian dad, you are indeed blessed. And I want you to understand from the contents of this morning's lesson some of the reason why they do what they do. If you're a young teenage male who someday hopes to lead your home and family up the straight and narrow path to heaven, there's plenty to learn from in this lesson. If you were a young teenage female, there's a lot in this lesson to learn about the kind of man that you need to be 
thinking about to become your husband, to lead your home, your family, and your children up the straight and narrow path to heaven. If you are a younger wife or mother with children still in the home today, I hope that you'll be able to use some of these things that we're gonna talk about in order to help your husband and the father of your children to become the best Christian man and father that God intended him to be. If you are a grandparent or a great-grandparent or a great-great-grandparent, I hope that you will see that you still need to help guide and direct and help lead your adult children and the next generation of their children in the ways of righteousness from some of the things that we will talk about this morning. As I speak about that particular thing and grandparents, I'm reminded of Eric's Wednesday night class in which he focused on faithful Abraham. Did you know that in God's appraisal of Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, verses 17 through 19, Verse 19 in the King James 2000 version of the Bible says this, For I know him, God says of Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. You see, in other words, not only did faithful Abraham have faith in God the Father in heaven, God the Father in heaven had faith in Abraham that he would be both a faithful father and grandfather. For I know him, he'll command his children and his household after him. You know, it doesn't matter how old your children get. They're still your children. You still have years more of experience and learning and knowledge than they do, even if they're adults. And they still need your teaching and the priceless wisdom of your example and your experience. That's why Moses said what he did in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 9 when he said this. He said, take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and grandchildren. And so having said that, we're going to begin this morning. There are a lot of different passages in Scripture talk about the necessity, the essentiality of being a godly father. Because the results of whether or not you do can and will in many cases extend into eternity. Not only for you, but for your family as well. Did you get that? The importance of being a good and godly father the results of that will, in many cases, continue to extend into all eternity. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to open to one of the most neglected, underestimated, and much needed in our society today sections of scripture when it comes to being the kind of fathers that we need to be, and that's in Hebrews 12. Please turn there with me, would you please? From Hebrews 12 this morning on this topic of godly fathers, I'm going to draw three lessons. These three lessons are critical. I can't overexpress how critical that they are for dads and the children that they love. I'm gonna read the text first and once having read the whole text, then we'll just make note of it as we continue this morning. Follow along with me in your Bibles, would you please? Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 11. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, 
looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they, that is our earthly fathers, indeed for a few days chastened or corrected or disciplined us, as seemed best to them. But he, that is God our heavenly father, chastens us for our profit. To what end? That we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it, re it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Lesson number one. Lesson number one, and the overall lesson of this entire text is very simple. True love truly disciplines. That's it. The word chasten in that text, as it's used several times, means to discipline, correct, teach, all of those things. True love truly disciplines. I didn't say this was going to be a popular sermon. I just said it's going to be biblical. Did God love his son, Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely perfectly, loved his perfect son. God the perfect father loved his perfect son perfectly. John 3.35, John 5.20, John 10.17, and others. And yet if we look at the text that we just read, and, and we're not going to do a typical, what you might typically expect to hear out of Hebrews 12, we're going to apply this to, to the topic we're talking about today, and that's, that's dads and fathers. But even though Jesus was loved, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, was perfectly loved by his perfectly heavenly Father, his perfect heavenly Father, I can say that. In Hebrews chapter 12 that we just read, verses one and two, we see that God, the perfect Father, in his perfect love, did not rescue his one and only son, his perfect son, from the shame and discipline of the cross. Despite his perfect love for him. This is because perfect love always demands obedience. And that such disobedience always demands punishment if it is to be useful. Now, before you raise your eyebrows. Obviously, I'm not talking about Jesus' disobedience because Jesus never disobeyed his father. But Jesus did come to pay for our disobedience. Take the scourging, take the crucifixion, take the punishment for our sins. But nonetheless, our disobedience still had to be punished and that's the point. No matter how much it hurt the father, Hebrews 12, one and two, no matter how much it hurt the son, no matter the incredible price that had to be paid, disobedience, that is our disobedience, our disrespect of God, simply could not be allowed to go unpunished or uncorrected by a perfect father. It couldn't. It had to be punished. Listen, wouldn't it have been a lot easier for Jesus not to have had to pay that? Wouldn't it have been easier on him not to have had to go to the cross? 
But such disobedience as we've committed had to be dealt with it, it, by a righteous father. It had to be corrected. It had to be disciplined. It had to be taken care of. Real, true, godly love can never do anything less because real, godly love does not rejoice with unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 6. Real love really disciplines. The scripture tells us in Hebrews, a few chapters back, chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, that Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, was Jesus heard? Yes. Jesus' prayers were heard, right? That's what it says. But God still didn't rescue him from the cross, did he? Even though he was heard. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He learned what obedience takes. He learned the pain that sometimes it takes. And having been perfected, he became the author, watch this now, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation, but only to a select group, to those who obey him. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. You see, obedience is absolutely essential to eternal salvation. Which brings us to lesson number two that I want to take out of Hebrews 12, verses 3 and 4. Here it is. Obedience is tough. Obedience is tough. But yet it is never as tough as the ongoing or even eternal results of continued disobedience. It's hard, you know, you, you dads, you know, you granddads, you moms, grandmoms, you know. Sometimes it hurts you a lot more to discipline your kids than it hurts them. You ever said to your kid, this is gonna hurt me more than it does you? <laughs> I said that. They don't believe it at the time, but when they become parents, they get it. It's sometimes you have to get through this. In verses three and four, he talks about discouragement and, and all of this. Sometimes correcting your kids can be a discouraging thing. Obedience is tough, disciplining is tough, but never as tough as the ongoing or even eternal results of continued disobedience. Dads, it's easy to become discouraged in the world we live in. It's, it's easy to become just say, you know what, it isn't worth it. Because what you're trying to do with your children, you're trying to raise godly children with godly morals and godly standards in an ungodly world. And the whole world, some days it feels like the whole world is against you. It doesn't just feel that way, that it really is. It's totally against you. The world teaches them everything different than what you as a godly father and mother, but father for today's sermon, are trying to teach them. I realize I pick a lot on commercials, but you have no idea how much I'd like to. <laughs> I'm, I'm controlling myself, okay? You ever notice on so many of these sitcoms and commercials, the dad is the idiot and the kid that's nine knows more than the parent does? You ever notice that? There's one of these on TV now that drives me foolish. Mom's working hard in the kitchen. It looks like, I don't know, 12-year-old daughter, I don't know how old she is, 13, 14, sitting there on the couch with her feet up while mom's doing all the work. And the daughter's sitting there and she's lounging and she just looks like she's got it made and she's got, I don't know, $900 smartphone in her hand, which you know she didn't pay for, but her mom is working in the kitchen paid for. And mom makes some comment during her busy life and busy schedule about scheduling the dog grooming. The daughter hits a few buttons on her phones and I got it scheduled. And her mom's really surprised, you got it scheduled? And the daughter just kind of rolls her eyes like my mom's an idiot. Honey, I got news for you. You didn't buy that phone and you ain't living in that house because you made that all happen yourself. Thank mom and dad for all the hard work for making that happen or you wouldn't be sitting there scheduling it on that phone they bought for you. But every one of these, she rolls her eyes like my mother's foolish. The whole world today, whether it's sitcoms, commercials, TV shows, it is hard because the dad and the mom are always ignorant. 
And it's easy to get weary and discouraged as you seek to raise godly children with godly morals in an ungodly world. It's easy when you're striving against this, this hostility and, and such a sinful world. It's easy to get discouraged and say, man, I don't know if I can do this. I, you know what? Karen and I had three children. We raised two daughters and a son. We're not that old. We remember what that was like, even though we slept since then. And I can't tell you how many times I told one of my kids, particularly my girls for some reason, well, dad, so-and-so's dad is doing this, and my friend's doing this. And I said, I don't care. They're not my daughter. Yeah, but dad, they're letting, I don't care. They're not my daughter. You know who's responsible for my daughters and my sons while they're in my house? It ain't the dad of their best friend. You're my daughter. You ain't doing it. <sighs> I'd rather have you go have a hissy fit than get hurt over something, the consequences of which are going to last a whole lot longer than it takes you to get over being mad at me for the day. Because your soul and your life is a lot more important to me than whether or not you're happy with me for the next 12 hours. I really don't care. And sometimes we have to be creative. I remember hearing this, and dads, teenagers, you may want to listen real close. I love this illustration. There were a couple of teenagers in the family, and the latest movie had come out. And it was a movie that had a little bit of bad language in it, and had a couple scenes they shouldn't see and all that. And so they come in, they knew what their Christian dad was going to say, and they just knew he wasn't going to let him go. But they come in because, you know, all my friends are going to this movie, and we really want to go to this movie. And it's only got two or three bad words in it. And it's only got two or three scenes that, that maybe only one or two that really I shouldn't see. So, but the movie's like two hours long, and it's only got like these two or three words and two or three scenes. And, and all my friends are going, and I want to go. And you know, the dad didn't say no. You know what the dad said? Why don't you give me 24 hours and I'll think about it. That's a good dad, right? That's reasonable. So they were all charged up and, you know, they think, oh, he didn't say no, so maybe we get a shot. Dad's actually going to think about this rather than coming out saying, no, this is great. So they come into the living room. Next day, dad calls him in. He's sitting there in his recliner. He's baked him a pan of brownies. Brownies sitting there on the coffee table. He says, well, he said, I thought about the movie y'all won't go see. See, I made it Southern. I said, y'all. He said, uh, I've decided that you can go. The only thing is, there's one catch. I baked a fresh tin of brownies, and you have to have a good big brownie before you can leave. That's no, that's no punishment. I can eat a brownie. He said, the only thing I want you to know is, he said, I went out into the yard, he said, before I baked the brownies, and he says, I only got two little scoops of dog poo, and that's in the brownies. Not much, only two little scoops of dog poo in that big pan of brownies, so it probably won't hurt you. It's not that much. Have a brownie. They didn't go to the movies. We have to be creative sometimes. One final thing I want to say about daughters, and then we'll get to sons. Dads, I had two daughters, I know this. With all the love and respect in my heart for you and for what you have to do. And with an understanding, because I've been there. Let me say this real clear. If your teenage daughter walks out the door dressed like the ladies on 42nd Street in Times Square in New York City. If your daughters walk out the door dressed in such a way that they draw the attention of every lewd thought of every man in whatever room they walk into, that's on you. The buck stops with you. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, not their mother. The buck stops with you. The last line of defense between you and your family for Satan to get through is you. 
Now, you need on the full armor of God, because I realize, I, I realize that the power is in Jesus, but you are the last line of defense between the immorality of this world and everything Satan wants to happen to destroy your family. You're the last line of defense, Dad, whether you like it or not. I can't help it. I didn't create the order of things. God did. You're the head of your house. I, I, know, I, I know that it can be difficult to find clothes that are modest. I know it can be difficult to insist that, that your daughters and your sons dress differently than, than the kids that they're friends with in some cases. But look, you have a different Lord. Don't we have a different Lord than the world serves? Don't we have a different king? Don't we have a different set of standards than the world today goes by? Don't we or not? This means yes, this means no. We have a different king, lord, and set of standards, and because we are Christians, we have a different destination, heaven. We don't want to go to hell, right? So because we have all of those things different, we're going to be different than the world around us, and our kids are going to be too. Same with our sons. If they are not being taught, listen please carefully. If our sons are not being taught out of respect, to treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity possessing their own vessel in sanctification and honor, instead of in passion and lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. By the way, that's 1 Timothy 5.2 and 1 Thessalonians 4.3 and following. If they are not being taught those things, if they are not treating women the way they had ought to, as we just discussed from those two texts, then we, at the very least, must ask ourselves as dads exactly how strongly we began disciplining them the moment they disrespected their mom. It's on us. And I, I got both fingers, both barrels right here, guys. If we're not modeling to them what it means to respect a woman, the buck stops here. It may not always be easy, but it is essential. Verses five and six. As we look at verses five and six, they simply reiterate and reinforce our original and overall point. The critical lesson of this entire text, and that is this. True love truly disciplines. That's the point of verses five and six, just backs up what we've already said. You know one of the dirtiest words in our society today? Discipline. It is one of the dirtiest words and concepts in today's God-denying and authority-rejecting society, but that is not true in the scriptures. One of the reasons our society has come to where it is is because discipline's a dirty word, but with Christians, it's not. I want you to notice here verses 5 and 6 of Hebrews 12. This is a quotation from Solomon in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Y'all remember Solomon, right? Had all this godly wisdom, asked God for wisdom, and God gave it to him in all these riches back there in the Old Testament. I want to give you some other quotes from Solomon regarding discipline. I'm not going to turn to them, but I have them printed out. Just make a list of them and listen. Number one, from that same Solomon who's quoted here in Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Proverbs 13, 24. Now, as you always have to say with this text, I don't believe for a minute God's telling you to go out there with a bat and beat your kids. We're not talking about child abuse. This is a figure of speech for discipline and don't be afraid to spank your kids when they need spanking, when it's appropriate. But notice again what it says. He who spares his rod hates his son. If you're not willing to correct your kid, it says you hate him. That's what scripture says. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. He takes care of it right then and there. Proverbs 13, 24. Listen to the next one. Chasten, that is correct. Same, same word as we see in Hebrews 12. Chasten your son while there is hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. What does that mean? Do not set your heart on, how many fathers set their hearts on their kids' destruction? According to this text, the ones who don't discipline them. Chasten your son while there is hope and don't set your heart on his destruction. Listen, 
When kids learn that there are parameters and rules, th think about this, when kids learn that there are rules, and if you go outside of those rules, there's gonna be bad consequences, okay? And you apply that anyway. Doesn't that make them better Christians when they get older? Isn't it good for Christians to know there's parameters, and if I step outside of these parameters, it's gonna cause me heartache. Isn't that true with Christians? Don't we have a set of behavioral patterns, uh, 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 parameters? It's gonna make them better husbands and wives and workers and members of society if they understand early on there's a set of parameters and if I go outside of this, whatever it is on whatever the issue is, that there's gonna be an authority that is going to cause me not to like the fact that I've gone out of those parameters. Do you think our world, many of you probably watched the, the TV last night, do many of you think that our world would be a better place if every kid that was raised in the last 100 years in this country understood if I step outside of certain parameters there's gonna be problems? You think that's wise? You think that's godly? That's exactly what God's talking about. Let me give you another one. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Is that true? Not asking your opinion as to whether you think it's true. That's black and white book, chapter, and verse. So it's got to be true. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs 22:15. Again, not talking about brutality or child abuse, just talking about a good old-fashioned spanking when it's necessary. That's Proverbs 22, 15. Proverbs 29, 15 and 17 say this. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Correct your son, and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Correct your son, and he will give you rest. Don't let him bring shame to his mother. Finally, and most importantly from the book of Proverbs, I want to share this final one with you one that is perhaps the most important of all of them to the overall point of today's lesson. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14, please listen. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod, listen to these last few words of that text, and deliver his soul from hell. Think, think about that. And deliver his soul from hell. There's not a parent, father, mother, grandparent, there's nobody who wants to see their kids go to hell. We don't want to see our worst enemy go to hell. But if we want to deliver our own children, then we must be willing to correct them. This is the reason this, this sermon is so important to dads today. This is why, okay? If you truly love your children, then you want more than anything else to see them go to heaven. And that text tells me that if we want them to go to heaven and deliver their soul from hell, then we're going to correct them when they need it. And that brings us to lesson number three from this text. If you're getting ready to write it down, let me set the stage first before I get to the actual lesson number three from this text. We have seen that obedience to our Heavenly Father is absolutely essential to going to heaven. We knew that anyway, but we've read that from Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. Obedience to God the Father in heaven is essential to going to heaven, number one. Number two, while such obedience to his will, obedience to God's will begins with our recognition of God's authority. If we don't understand God's authority, his sovereignty, his power, if we don't recognize that, if we reject that, then we're not going to obey him. So while obedience is necessary and that obedience begins with respect for God's authority, here comes lesson number three. Such a respect for the Heavenly Father's authority begins with learning such respect for our earthly father's authority. Did you get that? We want our kids to learn to respect the heavenly father's authority. That begins in the home with them learning to respect their earthly father's authority. And that's what the text here says. I'm going to actually read these three verses. You'll see this point made right here. Look in Hebrews 12, 7. Here's where number three is made. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Do, do you see the rhetorical question? You see what God's asking? It's absurd to God to think that a father wouldn't correct his son. He says, what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? Uh, come on. But if you are without chastening, of which, look at this, all have become partakers, this is the scriptural model, that there's going to be chastening. But he says, if you are without it, verse 8, 
of which all have, you know, obviously become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Do, do, do you get what God's saying? Here's what God's saying. Dads, sons, daughters, moms. Look at that verse real close. You're not treating your child with the love that you ought to be as their parent if you're not willing to correct them. You're not treating your child as a child you love, as a parent had ought to, if you're unwilling to correct them when necessary. If you're unwilling to chasten or discipline them, then biblically speaking, they're not really sons. Isn't that what it says in verse seven? Verse eight? Look at verse nine. And here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. If you don't get anything else from this lesson, get this. Get point number three. Verse nine is, is it. Verse nine is going to tell us, listen, here's why all of this is necessary. Even when you get discouraged at doing it, even when you're against the whole pagan world for doing it, here's the point. Because if they learn to respect their earthly father, they will more easily understand and accept and endure the discipline it requires from their heavenly father so they can go to heaven. We all want to see our kids go to heaven. That's the point of verse 9. Look what he says. Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Now watch his correlation. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? Where are they going to learn to do that? Well, they've already learned it because their fathers loved them enough to correct them in the first place. Verse 10. This is indeed what God did with Jesus, as we saw in verses 1 and 2. Now, what I want to really bring this down to today as well, as we move on here, is this. You know, a total lack of such a godly, biblical, begun in the home, Father instilled respect for authority has led to some of the biggest problems in today's society. Say that again. The total lack of such a godly, biblical, begun in the home at an early age, father instilled respect for authority has led to some of the biggest blights on today's society. Think about your world. Just, just go to your world for a minute. Look at the wisdom of God. When Somebody is not taught respect for authority. Think of everything that affects in your world today. Think about this. From abortion clinics and their staffs to active shooter scenarios to euthanasia supporters to terrorists of all sorts those come down to pretty much one thing when you boil it all down, and that is this. It really is. All of those things. Here it is. You know what they come down to? A total lack of respect for authority. A total lack of respect for the authority of the Creator God and the sanctity of the human lives which he created, Psalm 139, 13 through 16. Do you agree with me that in our world today there is a lack of respect for the lives of others? Would you agree with that? Where do you think that respect ought to have started? It ought to have started with dads in the homes where it ought to start. That was God's plan. That's where it begins. Remember the, the Psalm, uh, um, remember the proverb by Solomon? where he said, do it while there's hope. While there's still hope of instilling it in that child, you start early. But every one of those is a lack of respect for the authority of the Creator and the sanctity of the human lives which he created, Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. Most everything you see, most, not all, but the majority of things that you see reported on the evening news pretty much boils down to the same thing. A lack of respect for either authority or the lives or property of other people. Where should that have begun to be taught? God's plan was by the dads in the home. 
And I cannot get around saying this, so I'm going to. We have heard and seen a lot lately in the news about how black lives matter. And they absolutely do. Absolutely they do. However, they matter just the same as every other life that God created. Whether black or white, brown or red, born or unborn, it doesn't matter. Every life matters. Because God created it. Every life. And we've heard a lot over the past year about a couple of black men in particular who were confronted and then very tragically wound up being killed by the police. And that was a tragedy no matter how you look at it. I smile because if any of you think that I have a problem with race, you need to go take a look at a picture of my son in there in the desk, okay, just saying because I don't. But one of the things that's often lost in this discussion of those two black men in particular who were confronted and then tragically wound up being killed by police is this. Both of those men, as I understand it, had broken the law prior to the tragedy that happened. Both of them had either first broken the law or failed to respect the legitimate, duly enacted, duly recognized laws or authority of the land, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Otherwise, they would not have been in that confrontation, confrontation with police anyway. That's what's often left out of that equation. Now, put that together with these two things. Number one, according to the word of God, just as we have seen, proper respect for authority begins in the home with a father's continual love, support, respect, presence, authority, discipline, and correction. Such respect begins with a father's continual love, support, presence, authority, discipline, and correction. Put that together with this number two. According to the kids count, and you can look this up, data center website, kids count data center website, every year from 2009 all the way up to 2018, a nine year sampling, two out of every three black children born in this country were raised by a single parent. Did you understand what I just said? 65 to 67% of black children are raised by a single parent. Where were their dads? Is that a logical question? Where's the daddies? Where are the fathers? who are supposed to be teaching, and, and whites have the same problem, it's 24%, you can look that up. I don't care what color you are. I don't care if you're transparent. The bottom line is, when you have that many kids being raised without a father's authority, discipline, and correction, what do you expect when they become adults? I got a question, wouldn't it be better, and this is just my thinking, but you know, as I see it, Instead of continually trumpeting and making signs that saying black lives matter, if you truly believe that, if you really mean it, then wouldn't it make more sense to focus on getting more of these young black daddies to stay home and raise their kids some way? Black, white, green, red, yellow, blue, purple, chartreuse, I don't care what color they are. Now I understand that kids that are raised in a faithful, Christian, two-parent, godly home and environment, that's not, and many of you know it too, that's no guarantee that they're gonna turn out to be just the finest upstanding Christians in the world. There's no guarantee because we have free will. But I will tell you this, they got a lot better shot at it, Proverbs 22 and verse six, than a kid who's not raised with it. Moving on. 
speaking one more time about Solomon and the God-given wisdom in Proverbs, it brings me to the final point for fathers that I want to emphasize before we close, and that is this. I can say this because, not because I did it perfectly, because I didn't. I can tell you because I didn't do that good a job at it. I'm only human. I love Derek's line. <laughs> Wednesday night, even the best of men are still men at best. And I'm not trying to overload dads, but I will tell you that the following is so important. You can speak it. You can teach it. You can correct and discipline your kids all you want to. You can parrot the Bible day in and day out. You can set them down and have devos every night. You can send them to Bible camps. You can do all of this stuff. But dads and moms, if you are not setting the right example and they don't see in your life what you are telling them, you might as well not bother. If you're not spending the necessary time, effort, and energy with them, if you're not living it, modeling it, and exemplifying it, if you're not explaining it to them on a regular and persistent basis and then showing them what it looks like, you're not going to get the job done. Brothers, example is everything. Example is everything. Romans 2. God said, you who teach others not to steal, do you steal? And he goes on with this whole list. If we're going to teach our kids that it's wrong to do whatever, lie, cheat, angry, whatever, they need, we need to make sure that they don't see us jumping off the handle at every little thing too. Example is everything. Let me give you four texts just to note, and then we'll close. Example is everything. In John chapter 13, verse 15, right after Jesus had washed the disciples' feet, what did he say? For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Had Jesus told them they needed to love one another? Had they heard that before, that they needed to love each other? But Jesus didn't just tell them, look, the right thing to do is love each other. The right thing God wants you to do is love each other. That's what you got. What did he do? He took the basin. He got down on a knee or got down however he knelt and he washed the feet of Judas Iscariot. He washed the feet of Peter. He washed every one of their stinking filthy feet and said, this is what love looks like. Now you do as I have done for you. How many times in the scriptures are we told, husbands, love your wives, how? As Christ loved the church. He doesn't just say love your wife, he said, look at the example that you have. Example is everything. Philippians 3.17, Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have for us a pattern. 1 Timothy 4.12, we talked a lot about this. Kirk and his Devo did, and, and I followed it up with a PowerPoint slide here a week or two ago. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And that's written to young men and women. And finally, 1 Peter 2.21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Dads, there's a lot of responsibility on our shoulders. Children are a heritage from the Lord. And we can't control what our kids are going to do when they get to be adults. We can't. We can be the best parent that ever was. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The father represents God. Did one of his kids run off and do a lot of stuff he shouldn't have? Yeah. We can't control what they do when they get older. But I will tell you this. We can teach them that we love them. We can teach them respect for authority. We can teach them God's word. We can correct and discipline as we ought to. We teach them to respect their moms and, and their sisters and, and all of that. And we give them the best chance we can to get them to heaven. We can teach our young ladies what it means to be a Christian woman. Give them the best chance they got. But we have a difficult job. I'm going to ask you 
Right now, before we close and give the invitation that you might join me in a prayer for strength for all of us, please do. Our Father in heaven, we are so blessed and so grateful to be here this morning. Father, to have you, to have your love, to have the blood of your son to cleanse our sins, to have your word that tells us how to live. And Father, we want to pray a special blessing this morning on those Christian teenagers as they look forward to the day that perhaps they become parents, especially the young men. Father, give them the strength to do what is good and right. Until that time, in the way they treat the young ladies, and Father, after that, to take their children all the way up the straight and narrow to heaven. Help our young ladies to be those Christian women that are so valuable and precious in your sight, not conformed to the world around them, but transformed by your word. Father, help those young parents this morning, particularly the dads, to understand what an incredible responsibility is theirs and that they need your help every day to do the right thing and to teach their children and to correct them and to discipline them. Help those of us who are older dads who have adult children to continue to understand how important it is to lead, to guide, to instruct, to try with our adult children and the next generation to share the godly wisdom of some of the experiences that we've had, our failures, as well as our victories. Help us never stop seeking to be the Christian dads and grandpas, great-grandpas that you want us to be, as well as moms, wives, grandmothers, and great-grandmothers. But help us to realize how important it is that we do not fail to love, correct, discipline, to be there to support in all things the children you've blessed us with no matter what age. We can't do it without you. We just can't. It's too much. Thank you for promising to be through it all with be through all of it with us. In Christ's holy name. Amen. I realize this was not a lesson this morning that was aimed at the story of Jesus and salvation. But this morning, most of you know what it takes to become a Christian. You know that you need to hear and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You need to be willing to confess him as the Christ, repent of your sins, and you know it's essential to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of those sins. Is there anybody here this morning who has studied and would like to do that? If there's anybody here who'd like a study on how to do that, or if you're here this morning and you've already done that, but maybe you've listened to the lesson, you said, you know what, as a parent, I just need more than one prayer this morning. <laughs> I need a lot of help. I want to do this right. Maybe your dad, like I am, who realized your own failures and shortcomings. We need the prayers of the church this morning. Please come on down front, and we will encourage you and pray for you, or baptize you if that's your need as we stand and sing.